the Tennessee Titans are up 14 to nothing in the second quarter against Baltimore. Dun, dun, dun. What? True story. And Baltimore is uh, fourth and eight right now. So they may have to punt the ball. So they're going to punt the ball back to Tennessee. The dominant Tennessee Titans. Wow. Remember the Titans, Dave. You are listening to episode 37 of the Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast, a podcast of two unqualified idiots who are too lazy to do the rest of the spiel in 2020. I'm Carlos Alcazar, and with me as always is Dave Turnbull. Gotta love the uh, 2020 just keeping it as lazy as possible. But at least we mentioned that we're two unqualified idiots. Yes. New new us, new year, new us really comes down to following lean manufacturing principles, Dave. We gotta cut out the fat. We can't we can't afford to be to be doing too much of the spiel. The people should know. Hastily thrown together format? Yeah, yeah, we know, we know. We got it. But the point is that we're going to be talking about a couple of items today. Amongst them is going to be talking a little bit about the lamentations of the New Orleans Saints. Another year, another last minute uh, conclusion. And we're going to be talking about the XFL and the rules related to it and some of the thoughts we have related to that. So there'll be some of that. And before we go on to the rest of the program, Dave is also going to explain how even his thoughts anger the football gods, and potentially ruin the New Orleans Saints. Before we continue, Dave, do you, can you explain how you ruin New Orleans football with your thoughts? Well, as I said, I didn't want to say it out loud before the game started. But had the game gone in my favor, in the Saints' favor, and they'd won the game, the first thing I was going to do after that game was phone you and say, Hub are quite reasonable right now. We're going to Green Bay next week. Which, uh, when, when I heard that, it... it it made me chuckle. Uh, secretly inside, I just wanted to cackle because that would have been hilariously funny. But also, really on brand with you, it's like, yeah, let's go to a really cold place. Sounds awesome. Hey, you've never been to Lambeau, so. I also, if I was going to go to Lambeau, and I would like to go to Lambeau, I'm not sure if January Lambeau is exactly what I want to be going. It's like, guys, good news. It's Ice Bowl 2. Oh, great. Hey, it is what it is, buddy. Yeah. So. With all that said, then we'll get into the rest of our usual shenanigans and nonsense. We're going to get into it, so I'm going to stop right here, and then we'll continue with this episode of the Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast. Editor Carlos here. So a quick addendum, just after the clip that you heard there, where we were going to start the podcast, we actually had a little bit of a recording issue that we lost a couple of minutes of the recording, and uh, I actually ended up having to re-record the intro, which is basically what you just heard. But long story short, the majority of the conversation is still there. We are going to kind of join the conversation that Dave and I have in progress, talking a little bit about what happened last week with the New Orleans Saints uh, taking on the Minnesota Vikings and basically how the Vikings upset them. Dave kind of explaining his side of what he thinks went wrong. Although we did have a little bit of conversation, I alluded to it a little bit later as far as the legacy between Drew Brees and Sean Payton. But one of the things we did kind of have a little back and forth discussion on was basically whether this one specific, you know, playoff outcome, considering the last couple of years, really kind of hurts the legacy of Sean Payton and Drew Brees. I did mention a little bit of that, but part of the longer conversation that unfortunately was lost was that I look at it from the perspective of the one Super Bowl championship they did win gets hurt a little bit because it really comes down to being kind of a lucky break. Uh, the you know, the fake punt was a great strategic play at the time that you needed to do it. But it's one of those things where you don't need to do it if you're confident that you're winning the game and you don't need to do it if you are in a position where you're winning the game. You basically pull out all the stops, though, when you're worried that you're going to have to push the other team. And 
I think I mentioned somewhere that strategically it was a good move from Sean Payton's standpoint that obviously the Indianapolis Colts were not ready for it. They were not in a position to be able to handle it. So from that perspective, I can't blame them for doing it, but it's one of those things, and this is not going to end today with this specific argument. The truth is ongoing, and we're only going to know for sure once Drew Brees finally retires, we're going to be able to look at his career as a whole in retrospect and kind of understand a little better. But I just wanted to give you a little bit of that background and context. So we're going to be kind of in the middle of a conversation where Dave's going to be running down all the things he thinks went wrong in the Minnesota game. And then we'll go a little bit back and forth, followed by talking about the XFL rules uh, for the rest of the podcast. That'll be it for me. So here is the rest of your regularly scheduled podcast already in progress. Reception right before the uh, pass interference that wasn't. Uh, Ben Lattimore was out of the game because he got hit in the helmet by his own player. Uh, at that point. But that was just sort of one example of multiple defensive failures. Uh, the line play, the, the Saints defensive line, didn't do it. And because of that, you know, Minnesota was able to do a lot of what they wanted to do. They were able to get pressure on Drew Brees. And they the defense on New Orleans, for the most part, had no answer for Dalvin Cook, who had about, I believe, 94 rushing yards. And to me, the main reason why Minnesota won the game is not Kirk Cousins. Despite what a lot of people would like to tell you, the reason they won is because of their defense and Dalvin Cook. You take either one of those elements out of the game, and I don't think the Minnesota Vikings win that game. I think that's fair, but I think it's important that we really understand that while on the whole, Kirk Cousins did not play great, he was he just possessed one important crucial quality that I'm hoping someday Drew Brees will possess. The clutchness in the playoffs, just the clutchness. The ability to make one lucky throw over the top, followed by another questionable lucky throw. One day, Drew Brees will learn how to make one lucky throw, and then he will advance in the playoffs. I believe in this man. He's only 40. He's If you follow Tom Brady, he's got at least five, six, eight more years to get this right. Someday, he will do that. After he gets 100 yards, 100,000 yards in the regular season. Seven or eight more years, Dave. <laughs> Think about it. Seven or eight more. It's possible. It's quite possible. Um, I think the other thing, though, is it, it, you, may, you know, allude to it. Though. Breeds did not have a good game. No. Uh, you know, yes, he was pressured quite a bit, and and the O line owns a lot of that. But uh, he fumbled when the Saints were in the red zone or just outside of the red zone uh, yep. when they were driving and momentum seemed to be with them, which was a huge. Now he said in his post game press conference that basically somebody didn't run the route that they were supposed to run. There was some issue with it with the route as to why. You know, he held on to the ball and, and that stuff. But at the same time, you got to hold on to the ball better than that. you got to be better than that as a quarterback. And the second thing is he also threw an interception into double coverage on a ball that should never have been thrown. Yep. Right? And that's the one thing that nobody talks about. I know they're going back to last year about the Rams game. Everything's talking about the, the pass interference that wasn't, which, fair point. But the Saints still could have won the game in overtime. I believe they started with the ball. And Drew Brees threw an interception. I believe I spent an inordinate amount of time explaining that se- several times. Since the several opportunities that were there, it, my my whole thing back then, during that game, basically the first episode of this podcast was me saying they could have won that game. And they had an infinite number of opportunities, and they were the better team, and they were well in position several times. Again, one call, quote-unquote, does you in, that's bad. That's an indictment on you as a team, you as a coaching staff. What have you done wrong? Yeah, I, I absolutely is. And the Saints, they had problems, and they couldn't overcome them. I mean, they still sort of were in a position to win the game. 
their field goal kicker, Will Lutz, missed a field goal uh, at the end of the first half as well. And if he'd made that, you know, they would have been in a different position. Uh, but the Saints also, their running game was not there. I think they really missed Mark Ingram, who's with uh, Baltimore now. Uh, Alvin Kamara is a, is a great player, uh, but I'm not sure he's best used as an every down back. You know, uh, he got he didn't have a great season. He got better as the season went along, but without sort of marking him for that complimentary piece. And I know the Saints had Latavius Murray as well, but he's not marking her. He was serviceable this year and played well, very well when uh, Kamara was injured. But I think not having that sort of secondary running threat that you're the other opposing defense is really afraid of allows you to focus in more on what Kamara does. Right. And there you go. And I think overall what's happened is, you know, the dome field advantage, if you will call it that in the Superdome is gone. And if you look at it, you had the NFC championship last game last year, uh, this game, right. That didn't have, and you also had Atlanta and San Fran this year where the saints uh, lost at home. So I think, you know, we'll see what happens next year. Most of the guys can come back. Uh, they can have largely the same roster, which is a pretty decent roster. But at the same time, your best players need to make big plays in big games. And they haven't. Or they've put themselves in a position where they need to be extraordinary because of poor play in, you know, the first half. See the last two times they played Minnesota in the playoffs. Yeah, I think... Um... Coming off the the end result of this game is a very dangerous thing that I kind of alluded to prior to the game itself. And it's something that we talked about repeatedly. But here's the important thing for me. Now coming off of that, again, another year goes by. Drew Brees is a 40-year-old quarterback, so you have one of those. He's not getting younger, and the skills will continue to erode. I think he's still a very good player, still a very efficient passer of the football. That's all good. But the thing is... How much longer do you keep rolling out there with a 40-year-old quarterback? Uh, New England is facing this exact same thing with Tom Brady, who's a couple of years older. But Drew Brees is in the same boat. How long do you want to keep rolling him out there when you've got a guy? Now, I don't know if he's a free agent or not, but I'd be curious to see, like, if you're New Orleans, when do you start thinking about the future beyond the next couple of years? Because you've got a guy in Teddy Bridgewater who's pretty decent, and he played well uh, when Drew Brees was injured. So it's one of those things like, do you at some point start looking at Chetty Bridgewater as the future or at least a bridge quarterback to whoever you think the future is? Because at least he's got some skills. He's an NFL quarterback. He knows what to do versus trying to see how much more you can squeeze out of Drew Brees. How much longer do you intend to keep that going? Well, well, yeah. And I think actually the Saints are in a unique position this year where all three of their quarterbacks could potentially leave in the offseason. Brees is a free agent and can't be franchise tagged. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater is a free agent. Uh, and should, based on his play this year, command some interest from, a, I would say, at least three or four teams. And Taysom Hill it could also potentially... He might be a restricted free agent. I think there's there's something with his deal. Uh, you know, but he's shown that... I mean, obviously, he's an extremely powerful offensive weapon, but he can also play quarterback. I mean, their best play offensively in that game was Taysom Hill, 50-yard pass, you know, that set up, uh, I believe it set up a touchdown. Yeah. And then the, right? uh, I did, I did hear a take and I forget who, who it was. Otherwise I'd give him credit. I don't have any issue giving credit where it, where it belongs. I can't remember who proposed it, but if you're not sure if you want to keep going with Drew Brees, what about a tandem where you can retain Chady Bridgewater, sign him to a contract because he is a decent quarterback and then have him paired up with Taysom Hill. 
I kind of like that as a one-two punch because Taysom Hill has a unique skill set where I don't know if I'd want him to be my every down quarterback, but having him out there and then having a full a whole complement of um, have basically giving him the full playbook, having him be able to go out there for various different types of plays. You can't then just zone in and go, oh, Taysom Hill's out here. You're going to run this kind of play. If you give them both the full playbook, then Teddy Bridgewater could be out there. Taysom Hill could be out there. And you're like, okay, number one, who's going to throw the ball? I have no idea. Who's going to run with the ball? I have no idea. What kind of play are you going to run? I have no idea. Yeah. And I think, you know, the dream scenario for me, obviously, would have been they win this this year and, and Breeze retires. Uh, you know, I think Breeze has still got some stuff left in the tank. And I fully expect him to come back next year. Uh, basically what I expect to happen is I expect Breeze to come back, Hill to come back, and Bridgewater to sign elsewhere. Uh, that's what I expect. Even Sean Payton has sort of alluded to that, that in a perfect world, he'd like to keep all three, but we don't live in a perfect world, was his quote. I think as long as, as, long as Breeze can still play at a high level and wants to, I mean, I don't see Breeze leaving and going anywhere you know, else. Uh, I mean, there's always a chance that potentially he could go back to San Diego and sort of finish where he started, but I mean... I think Breeze's heart is in New England and I'm sorry, in New say, Orleans. I was, well, just, just so we're clear. So there's two parts to this. First, you try to make it New England. And then secondly, there is no San Diego, Dave. It's the LA Chargers. No, it, it, it's always going to be San Diego, and I'm always going to refer to them as San Diego. I refuse to call them the L.A. Chargers. We'll see, we'll see if you learn to respect the name, if the L.A. Chargers sign, you know, hot quarterback prospect Tom Brady. To uh, for a well, three-year that, contract, that might change my mind. Yeah, obviously. But, I, I think and I, I will probably refer to the San Diego Chargers playing in LA, but I will still refer to them as the San Diego Chargers because someone's got to stick up for the city of San Diego, Carlos. If not me, who? I, clearly, they lost the Padres. Oh wait, no, they didn't. But anyway, uh, the Padres just, just lose. It sounds teams. similar. It sounds similar, but it's not exactly the same thing. And they did have a basketball team at one point in time too. Brilliant. Good times. The. You know, uh, the the thing is, I think uh, not, not what you what you just mentioned uh, gave me gave me just a funny thought, and it it would make no sense, but I'd get a kick out of it. I feel like we should play forty year old quarterback roulette and just randomly position them. So here's what I propose: I think the New Orleans Saints should sign young quarterback prospect Tom Brady. So the New Orleans Saints get Brady, the New England Patriots get Breeze, and then Philip Rivers signs with Cleveland for God knows what reason. And then, say, and then all of a sudden, the L.A. Chargers are like, we'll take Teddy Bridgewater and Taysom Hill. And all of a sudden, the Chargers are doing the best. Well, I mean, that would be entertaining at the very least. It would be very funny. It would be random. It would make no sense. And it would be utterly pointless. And everyone else would just stare confused. But it would be funny. And I think, hence why would it be entertaining? Yeah, it'd be hilarious. Those are all the thoughts that I have. So I apologize to you and to the listeners for not having more indignant rage. But, you know... I think a a part of my soul died last week, as apparently a part of my soul has died every week, every sort of you know January for the last three years. But also, and a week removed from the game, the anger is is just not there. Well, first of all, souls are overrated, Dave. Not that I would know. Yes, I would know. But the thing is, it's not like you can act surprised because I said it in kind of my explanation la- in in the podcast last week. My my honest assessment was. I can look at the New Orleans Saints and I think you have enough talent. That's why that's why I use the LA Dodgers comparison. You're so talented. The team is so good. I can't understand why you don't win when you should because the opportunity it's not like there aren't legitimate opportunities. Forget about the rest of it. If they had gotten to the Super Bowl any of the last 3 years, they would have had a legitimate shot at winning any of the last 3. 
And where this is bad, I think, for the Sean Payton-Drew Brees combo legacy-wise, is that the one time you got there, to be blunt, you had a fake punt. You got lucky. You you had to pull out every trick out of your out of your yeah, bag. Was, you you made a good play. I think that the, yeah, but the better team won that game, Carlos. In that game, I I, could, I, could, I could debate that. To be honest, that Indianapolis team was really good. And to be blunt, if that if that they fake punt really doesn't good. work, if that fake punt doesn't work, they're not winning. So it worked. Oh, you we'll know, uh, full credit. You can't, There's you no can't we'll say see. they weren't going to win. I mean, I, it was ten six at halftime. I, I am very confident that the New Orleans Saints history of not winning that kind of game tells me that if that play, which was a risk, and it was a good risk, Sean Payton should have done it, and it was good for him that it worked. It worked. But the thing is, I don't think that the I don't think that the Colts would have lost that game because because the Colts one thing that uh, they're during that whole tenure, the one thing I, I saw with the Colts is that they were very efficient. They were very mechanical. Uh, Peyton Manning is is one of the greatest quarterbacks. But the thing with him and his teams is that if anything goes wrong, if they're not prepared to respond, they don't know how to react to it. Whereas New England was never good. Like, I never enjoyed watching them. But you have to give them credit. You could hit them with a shot early. And then they could chip away at it or come back or do different things because they could take that kind of a hit. Bill Belichick's preparation and mentality was such that, okay, if one thing goes wrong, no problem. We got plan B. Plan B doesn't work. We'll go to plan C, plan D, plan E, plan F. With the with the cults during a lot of that time, if plan A doesn't work, maybe we have a plan B. But if plan B doesn't work, we're screwed. And that happened with them a lot. If plan A doesn't work, we're screwed. So that's so that's where the Saints did the thing they needed to do. They created a scenario where, like, do you have a plan B? The answer was no. Okay, congratulations, you win a Super Bowl. Oh, hey, it worked out, and I'm happy about that. No, the thing and is, you don't we'll you don't give it back. You don't give it back. You take it. But the point is that if we look at it from a historical perspective, it's like it's kind of like the Tuck Rule game thing with Brady at the beginning of his career. If he doesn't win another Super Bowl, it's like, well, dude, you got lucky. You, you weren't even. You shouldn't have even been there. It worked out for you, but you shouldn't have been there. And you also, before even getting to that one, you had the NFC Championship, your favorite game, with, you know, Brett Favre, Brett, Mr. I'm going to throw an interception the most inopportune time, Favre, and then Adrian Peterson fumbling the football. That worked out. It was great. And then weird decisions. Weird decisions for Minnesota that year. But the point is, that's what happens sometimes. Sometimes you have to have a couple of breaks go your way to get there. But the thing with them is that that 2019 was good. The last three years' teams... I thought had all the components and the matchups would have been favorable. And I probably would have really seriously considered them if they had gotten to any of the last three Super Bowls. No, I, I mean, that's a fair point. Yeah. The team was just so good. And when you actually had the team and you had all the horses, why didn't you get there? And that that's problematic if you're looking at it from a legacy perspective. So it still counts. Because they decided to go LA Dodgers on it. Yeah. And be like, you know what? We could win this, but we're going to find like a really horrible way to break our fans' hearts in not winning it. Yeah. How do, we're not going to get blown out. We're going to make you think we're going to win and then not. Yeah. And the, the thing is, the last three years, they lose basically on the last play, number one. And number two, the, the team they lost to this year then got comfortably controlled by the San Francisco 49ers. The 49ers were never in any danger from the Vikings. So it's not like the Vikings then, you know, went on a magical run to the Super Bowl and then Kirk Cousins is hosting, hoisting the Lombardi and then you're like, well, at least we lost to the Super Bowl champ. No, they came to the next game and San Francisco just took care of them. They were never in position to win that game and the score flattered them. So I think, uh, I think New Orleans would have been a more competitive matchup and given San Francisco a little bit more of a challenge. But that's, sometimes that's what happens. So San Francisco, congratulations. You basically got a bye in the second round. Good for you guys.
All right, let's talk XFL. All right, we're going to talk some XFL. It's been kind of quiet in uh, Vince McMahon land as far as the XFL is concerned. Although, from uh, you know, I'm kind of on the mailing list since I did buy some XFL swag early on. So I do get the updates here and there that you know things are churning along. They've gotten to the point where they've been doing training camp stuff. They've been preparing. The teams are getting ready. But we're getting close. It's, uh, I think, February the 8th is the first XFL game. So part of that is also advertising. What are the new rules uh, to contrast with what the NFL is doing? And the XFL has done a good job. We'll talk a little bit about the rules themselves in a second. But the XFL has done a good job as far as I'm concerned because one of the emails I got was links to YouTube videos where they explain these interesting rules and also give a little bit of the background and kind of the rationale for it, which I like. I like that you actually explain why as opposed to just doing the thing. Is there certain specific rules, Dave, that you wanted to talk about? Well, I have I have a thought on basically all the main ones. So I figure I'll just throw out the rule, my thoughts, and then I'll let you comment. Go ahead. So the first one is that the clock is going to continue to run. I like that. Uh, it's not going to stop unless except at two minutes. I love it too. Uh, I think of all the changes they're, they're, they've talked about making or going to make, sorry, I should say, I like this one. Um, the other thing that I really like about it is it prevents any of those stupid TV timeouts. Uh, I, you know, I don't never really paid attention to the NFL. I know they happen in the NFL, but it's, it's in the CFL. I always think it's where, you know, when you're at the game and that guy comes on the field and he stands there with the red flag and you're just kind of holding it up yep. and you're waiting and you're waiting and then he waves it and then play continues. I'm glad that they're doing this. I think that's great uh, for the game and for the people watching. Um, and in sort of with that is the fact that they're going to have a 25 second play clock as opposed to the 20 second uh, play clock they have in the CFL and the 40-second play clock they have in the NFL. And I don't really see an issue with that. Uh, again, just to sort of speed the game up. Uh, but I sort of, what I've heard, and I like the timing rules, and I like the fact that they're going to stop it at two minutes. And you sort of still have that, um, the two-minute drill, or the potential for that two-minute drill that you, that you have in the NFL, uh, which I think a lot of people like. So in terms of clock management, I and Andy Reid give this a thumbs up. Andy Reid does not give it a thumbs up oh, because somehow you'd find a way to get confused about that and get a delay of game 46 times a game. But the it is true, though. It would that kind of timing rule would be advantageous for Andy Reid in the sense that it would force him to just get on with it and it would keep the clock moving because this has been a problem for him in games where they've been leading in playoffs. This is historically one of his big problems. So I agree. I do like the timing rules. Um, of course, I assumed you would like it being that it's very pretentious cross country running ish. With the running clock. I wasn't going to go there, but I yeah. was thinking that. Yeah, I, I, I caught it without even needing to see you. But the thing was that, uh, yeah, the thing is, I don't mind that part because it does keep the flow going. It means that we don't have so many delays. It is part of like a mandate from the league. They're trying to get the time of the overall game down under three hours, which I actually think is great. I think that's fantastic. I think that that keeps the flow going and it keeps the audience engaged and it keeps them from things from dragging out a little bit too much, which can sometimes happen in an NFL game. Um, next one is there will be no extra point kicks. I'm fine with that. Um, this So this one is the one I think of all the rules that they, they're putting in that strikes me as the most gimmicky. It so, is. right, you have a chance for one point uh, from the two, mm -hmm. uh, two points from the five, or three points from the ten. Mm -hmm. I think this is one of those, it is super gimmicky, but it's one of those things, it could work out. Or it could just continue to be super gimmicky and we're all going to hate it. I like and it I'm not fact. sure what. I like it but, from the fact there's a strategy. Well, yeah. I mean, I think it has the potential to be interesting because, yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, depending on what's going on in the game, 
you have options and, and a lot of permutations can come from that, which is, which is kind of cool. And also you're going to see some probably really whack scores, uh, but it, it really focuses on coaching and risk taking and, you know, sort of how much risk are you, are you willing to take? So I will, I will give that a sort of question mark in terms of, I'm not, I'm not going to fully give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down right now. Uh, I just want to see how it plays out, but right now I'm, you know, gimmicky, but let's see, cause it could be kind of cool. Yeah, I think one of the big things that I caught as far as that is concerned is that I think a lot of the thought process behind it was that it allows a nine point game to still be a one possession game. And that's literally what they were thinking that they said, okay, well, if you're relying on field goals and you're down by nine, you're actually still technically in the game. You could score a touchdown and go for a three point play that would get you recover nine points. So it means you could be nine points up and it's still not over. So I think that's part of the thought process is like, well, I'm not suggesting that you should go for three all the time. But what I'm saying is you could. And if you did, it would create this scenario where you're forcing the other team to really have to make a really spectacular pair of plays, not just one play. You got to make that three point play to follow to actually tie the game potentially. And if you're down by eight, do you go for three to get the win? Stuff like that. Yeah, no, I think I think it'll it'll make things interesting for longer. So we shall see. Uh, next one. You only need one foot in bounds for a catch. College rules. I uh, like it. CFL rules, college rules. I'm fine with that. I don't really have anything more to say on that. One more uh, thing I will say about it, though. And uh, part of the rationale that they were mentioning on, like I said, the video does a good job. If I can find, um, if I, I think it'll just be in the, in the XFL's YouTube channel. If I find that, I'll add it to the notes because I, you got folks to just check it out because they do a pretty good job explaining the rationale behind the individual rules, which is actually pretty nice. Each video has its own, uh, each rule has its own video explaining the rationale behind it. And you, most of them are a couple of minutes, so it's not long. What I like about it, though, is that it also makes figuring out whether a cap, whether a play was inbounds or not makes it simpler. You're just looking for one foot. You're not worried about this uh, toe-dragging thing. And also, it reduces the likelihood of injury because a receiver has to contort their body into a pretzel sometimes in order to get the second foot down, which potentially puts them for injury if you have to stretch your whole body out and suddenly try to get one toe in just to make the second foot happen. Yeah. Uh, so the next one, and I think this is the one that I... Uh, right now, I hate the most, but obviously that could change. It's a kickoff rule. Uh, so I, if it's a safety, I, and again, I didn't watch the video where it explains the rationale. So maybe you can enlighten me on this one. If it's a safety rule, though, I say just get rid of kickoffs and let them start from you know what whatever line. But basically, the ball's kicked from the 25-yard lines, and, and the defense is five yards away, but they have to wait... Uh, no, uh, no one other than the kicker or the receiver can move until either the ball's caught or the ball has been on the ground for three seconds. Mm -hmm. I didn't get a chance to check that one out. I think it's probably a safety thing, to be honest. Um, it does prevent certain types of injuries that could come from just a bunch of people rushing you uh, when the ball's still in the air. I believe that's what it is, but I will check out the video to get a little bit more of a sense of the specific rationale. Like I said, they've done a decent job <laughs> explaining why, so I'm not sure about that one. So quickly, one thing that I was going to say was that the Tennessee Titans are up 14 to nothing in the second quarter against Baltimore. Dun, dun, dun. What? True story. And Baltimore is uh, fourth and eight right now. So they may have to punt the ball. So they're going to punt the ball back to Tennessee. The dominant Tennessee Titans. Wow. Remember the Titans, Dave. 
That'll be a huge upset if that holds. Yeah, we're going to see. Uh, right now, it seems like Baltimore's off to a slow start. Uh, Lamar did throw an interception, but um, Tannehill threw a bomb to get to to get the second touchdown. But he had only really complete. He actually threw touchdown passes on two consecutive throws, which is Impressive. hilarious. It is impressive, but also at the same time, like, what were you doing in between? And I'm watching it, and I'm like, uh, okay. We'll, we'll see. We'll, but Baltimore's now got their hands full. Now they're going to have to work a little bit harder to get back into this game and keep this thing going the way everyone expects it to happen. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yes. All right, so can we move on to the next rule then? Bring it. Double forward pass. Uh, so what this means is that if the ball has not crossed the line of scrimmage, so once the ball's crossed the line of scrimmage, there cannot be a second forward pass. You can still lateral, but you can't throw it forward again. However, uh, as long as the ball is behind the line of scrimmage, you can still throw it forward again. Again, this one to me is is weird and gimmicky. My first inkling is like I don't like it, uh, and I'm not even sure it's going to be used that much. So we'll see. Uh, You know, I don't see the potential for a ton of huge huge cool place with this although you know that's on the coaches and see what they come up with uh you know if potential they could come up with some interesting things then then we'll we'll see what happens you know i guess you could have one of those where it's like they throw forward to someone that person throws it back and then they throw forward again so it's kind of like a flea flicker but not quite i don't know we'll see uh i'm not again i'm not sold on this one either because I don't, I don't think it's going to fundamentally change anything. Because I, again, I'm not sold on it being used that much. But we shall see. Yeah. So I can. So I did watch the video on this one, and I can say that the whole idea—it's not supposed to be fundamentally changing the game. What it's supposed to be is exactly kind of what you alluded to a second ago. It's actually supposed to be we're giving you a couple of more options. If your play caller is very creative and has the right personnel. So somewhere out there, Tyson Hill's ears are perking up going like, because he'd be a good candidate to do some stuff with this because you could really have some fun with it. And you can do that. You can have a forward pass and then throw it to another quote unquote quarterback who can also throw a forward pass. So you can actually move it from one side of the field all the way to the other side of the field to somebody else who can throw it. And you're not limited to having to throw it backwards in order to make this work because throwing it backwards also puts you at risk of, um, you know, losing the ball, a fumble, a couple of different things. Because you could technically have an incomplete pass, you know, before the line of scrimmage. But then if they catch it, then you can make another throw. You can have a completed pass followed by an incomplete pass. The point isn't that everybody's going to use it. The point is that they're giving the coaches the option, which I don't have a problem with. Uh, it's, it's one of those rules where either people will use it or they won't. And if they don't use it, then you won't notice it. The only time it'll really come into play is if you suddenly see somebody decide, you know what? Our team has the right personnel. Let's give it a go. All right. Next one. No coin toss. Uh, so what they've decided to do here is that the home team basically wins the coin toss in regulation. So they get to decide whether they want to take the ball, whether they want to kick off, whether they want to defer, and and the permutations coming from that. And the visiting team gets to decide in overtime. Uh, so this one, honestly, this is probably, of all the rules, the one I care about the least. I don't really care here. I don't really care what happens. And sure, you know, I really, other than, you know, their overtime rules are different anyway. So I'm not convinced that the coin toss means that much anyway. So sure. Great. It's just one thing to sort of one more thing to speed up the game that you don't have to go through. And I'm for that. So let's, let's have at it. I think that's a hundred percent the whole idea behind this one, because it's not like it makes that big a difference. Um, I was a big advocate for rock, paper, scissors. And I feel that that was a candidate for options. That would have been cool. to Actually, you know what? I would have actually preferred that. Could you imagine, like, you know, pregame predictions, everyone. Oh, guys, I, I'm, I'm all about rock. 
We you got to go with rock. It's it's a winner. And then you know you can the gambling permutations like you know do you go paper? I don't know. It's two to one on paper. I'm a big fan of rock. Rock's a big favorite. Think about it. As as long as you don't have Tony Romo doing commentary on it, I'm I could do it with rock paper scissors. And it's okay. We're gonna get booger. He's gonna give us some analysis. He oh, goes, okay. That's even worse. That's even worse. <laughs> you asked for it. <laughs> oh, I, I hate Monday Night Football so much. That's why. That's why I watch it with with the volume muted. Just so you yeah. Know. You know, if I could get the radio broadcast from somewhere, I would do that. All right. And the last rule that we're gonna discuss is the five round shootout. So uh, this is their overtime, which is obviously similar to sort of hockey, I guess. Uh, so basically, you're going to go five rounds. You start with the ball on the five-yard line, and you see what happens. Uh, right? So if, if you score five touchdowns and the other team scores four, you win. Uh, I, it's, you know, one play from the five-yard line. So we'll, we'll see what happens with that. Um, you know, the jury's out on this one. I, I, th- I think it could be kind of cool. Uh, it's similar to the CFL, at least in terms of the shootout, where you, you know, that you don't play... Uh, the same, the same format, right? It changes where in college in the CFL you line up, I think, at like the thirty-five, and and you know then the rules start from there in terms of you know if you get a first down you keep going and whatnot, uh, and, and it kind of goes back and forth if need be. Uh, the NFL rules I don't mind either. So you know what? I don't hate this. I think it could be cool. I think it's certainly probably going to be more exciting. So I'm I'm cool with it. I, you know I'm not like oh my god this is amazing. You know, honestly, of all the rules, my favorite, I think, would be the keeping the clock running. Uh, but I think there is some potential for some really cool things to happen with some of these rules and the overtime rule being one of them. I think the biggest thing with the overtime rule is they're just trying right now. The XFL has the advantage where because they're kind of a off the wall, kind of out of left field league, they can afford to have a little fun and go with it because they're trying to sell to a different audience slightly. I don't know how successful they're going to be at that. It'll be interesting to see that part. And we will we will talk about it more in the coming weeks and months. But the biggest thing for me, as far as the overtime rules are, is that everybody's trying to figure out what the perfect combination is. Because the NFL changed their overtime rules because they hated the idea that a team could just win the coin toss and win on a field goal. Everyone hated that. So then they said, okay, well, then you can't win on a field goal unless you already tried to score once and the other team tried to score and then you win on a field goal. But then, you know, again, you win the coin toss and you get a touchdown, then you win anyway. Oh, well, why don't we give each team one possession? So it's it's the back and forth. Everybody is really struggling to figure out what you can do to make the overtime quote-unquote fair. And then obviously college has a thing where you can go back and forth a little bit and you can just keep racking up the score, which is fun to watch. But at the same time, it, it's nuts. It can get really crazy. I don't remember exactly which game it was. If you ever get a chance to check it out, you can. it's probably out there on YouTube. Go check out some weird overtime game where Boise State played. And I remember watching that one live, and it was just madness. It was just back and forth, back and forth, and finally a crazy play ends the thing. And it's it's fun, but at the same time, it's nuts. And if you're a fan or you're a gambler or something like that, it can drive you absolutely insane because you just don't know what you're – you go back and forth and your emotions spike up and down as you think your team's about to win and then something else happens and then another play and then another play. So it can be fun, but it's uh, it can go in a lot of crazy places. Yeah. So you know, overall, I think, as you said, it seems to be more low key, especially on the Vince McMahon end, than it was last time. But I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. I, you know, I'm excited to see what happens with this. I feel like you know they've got some people in place. I think isn't it um, Dean Blandino 
who worked with the NFL and now does some uh, you know rules analysis with Fox, I think is going to be there. He's either the head of officiating or have some uh, particular role with the league in terms of officiating and, and rules. Like the thing is that we said with the AAF, this looks good. I think it's got potential. We'll see what happens. I'm saying the same thing with the XFL. Obviously, the, and the thing was, the big thing we thought, though, was going to be the product on the field, right? And that was part of the issue with the XFL last time. If you sort of go the AAF route, the product on the field was pretty good. And it wasn't enough because they didn't have the funding. You know, this time, it seems to be that funding source, because of, you know, Vince McMahon, is going to be a lot more stable uh, if they want to keep it going. So we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, I will tune in. And I will follow it. I'm looking forward to my Seattle Dragons winning it. But, you know, we'll see what happens. But overall, in terms of, you know, prep and what they're doing, I like. And the thing that that I think is really interesting about these rules and everything they've gone through is, you know, how they're putting out the YouTube videos. They're really sort of trying to get things on social media and and different sites to get people into it, to get people to follow it. Like when they announce, here's how they're going to make the football, which... Again, it's a football. There's not that big of a deal, but they really put a nice production together in the video uh, that gives people a lot of access to the league early on where you can sort of get drawn into it. And, you know, where you have videos where they're explaining the rules and they're showing you the X's and O's. And if you're into football and you like football, they're giving you a lot to, to like and to latch onto ahead of the time. Now, whether that continues, we'll see. But so far, I've got, I'm giving it a thumbs up. Well, I think that's really what it comes down to. This... Vince McMahon's one thing that they're good at, and they, they, they nailed it on two categories. One is, and it's something I talked about forever ago now, it feels like 100 years ago, it was all the way last decade. But the thing that we talked about was they had, before the league was even anywhere close, they had the merchandise ready to go. They had Even before they had logos, even before they had team names, they had some XFL swag ready to go. I've got and my a trip to Canada. Yeah, but the thing, but the point was, we use the shipping to Canada, but really, what what it's saying, they, they can ship internationally. They can ship everywhere. The point was that they had the infrastructure in place. They had the warehouses. They knew how to put something in a box and send it to you. It's it doesn't sound like a big deal, and it shouldn't be. But a company that already knows how to do that. If I go to WWE Shop, I can buy anything I want, and they will ship it to me. They had that infrastructure in place, and all they did is they said, hey, let's get some people who know how to do this stuff. And again, well, your question may be like, well, what does that have to do with anything? The point is they have people in place that already know how to do certain specific things. Well, when it came to the social media end of it, WWE spends all this time bragging to everybody who will listen about how many uh, Twitter, you know, how many uh, people follow the WWE Twitter, how many people follow the WWE YouTube channel, how many people do this and that. And some YouTube channel, uh, YouTube videos uh, for WWE get millions of views. Why does that matter? Because it means they can get eyeballs on it. So they sat there and go, what do we already know how to do with social media that works? And they say, can we do that for the football? Like, and the answer was, of course. Of course you can. Because right now you're starting from nothing. So you need to get it out there in social media so that people can find it that way. So they're not going to be making like big – I don't expect in the Super Bowl. They may or may not, but I don't necessarily expect to see an ad for the XFL during the Super Bowl. Traditionally, that would be like the thing you would do. But in this case, you could sit back and go like, no. We're going to do it on Instagram. We're going to do it on Twitter. We're going to do it on Facebook. We're going to do it on all these places. And you're going to get to see this over and over again until people are like, wait, when is the first game? Oh, it's on February the 8th, 2 p.m. Oh, okay. And then some, there'll be some early curiosity. They'll check it out. And if they can get people to at least check it out and the game is decent, 
they can get some people to come back, but then they can keep promoting it that way. $20 tickets don't hurt either. And they, because they no, made a real strong. No, absolutely. I, I really think there's, you know, again, the infrastructure is there. The things are in place for this to go well. And the funding is supposed to be in place because it's coming from one guy and he tends to be pretty stubborn. This is true too. Yeah. So that's a big key because it really, the first season you can expect there's going to be some struggles. They're going to have to get really comfortable with the idea that, Hey, out of the block, there might be some curiosity, but the last league that tried this, you know, imploded on itself. And it's a shame because they were doing fine. I think, I think from by most metrics, they were doing reasonably well about where you expect them to be given that they were starting from scratch. Well, and especially given, you know, they're stated what they're there for, yeah. right? You know, that they're not competing with the NFL, that it's a startup league, that it's the time of year that it is, that it's not going to be the best players, all that jazz. At the, in the long run, it'll be an excellent experiment because I think if this one struggles or has any issues and doesn't go off, I don't think there's going to be another crack at this for a long time. So I think this is basically the last shot for a while. If somebody wants to see spring football, so I'll support it from the perspective of I'm definitely going to check it out. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that 100%. And there you have it, Carlos. Some XFL talk for you. Yes. More to come, though. More to come. I, oh, absolutely. I, I've got my eyes. I've got my eyes on some more on some more swag, Dave. It's, it's coming. Nice. I like it. One thing we're going to do here, then, is as far as looking forward to right now, there's no point in saying anything else. Checking out the playoff football. I'm watching some right now. I'm going to be watching some tomorrow. I'm going to be clen- I'm going to be clenching, you know, my my drink as I as I try to watch the the Packers play Seattle and what'll be fascinating. Uh, now that Seattle uh, Seattle and Green Bay, the winner of that is going to get to go play in San Francisco against that team. I don't. I will say one thing from the San Francisco result is I didn't learn anything because I knew Minnesota wasn't that good compared to especially compared to a San Francisco. But like I said, I didn't see a lot from Jimmy G that really impressed me. And this was kind of to me, this was supposed to be the coming out party and they won comfortably. Let's not get this wrong. But it's it's one of those things where once it became clear that they were the superior team, they switched to running the ball a lot and controlling the time, which makes perfect sense. But at the same time, it's like I'm still not seeing at some point if the quarterback has to be the best player. I don't know yet if he can be that guy. And I haven't seen it yet, but it's it was his first playoff game. So I can't knock him too hard when in the end of the day they won and they won comfortably. But now I'm going to be very interested to see what happens when that San Francisco team where they don't have a ton of playoff experience outside of Richard Sherman. They go then to either play a Seattle team who has plenty of playoff experience to Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll versus a or a Green Bay team who. I have questions about too, but if they get past Seattle, then maybe they get some of it together and Aaron Rodgers plays like Aaron Rodgers. I just don't know. I think there's, again, a lot of permutations that can happen because there's a lot to like about San Francisco, but there's still some question marks there. Absolutely. I think that does it for us this week, Dave. Yeah. That'll be it for myself and Dave. So we thank you as always for listening. Uh, Check out, as always, I mentioned, it's time for some shameless plugs. It's been a little while since I brought it up to you. Uh, We've got the... Instagram at Unnecessary Podcast. I've got to make sure, you know, that gets updated as well. But then we've got Twitter at Unnecessary underscore pod. We've got our site at UnnecessaryPod.Podbean.com. So you can check us out in any of those places. A archive of these uh, podcasts in full will be available on our YouTube site. If you just type in Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast, you'll find it there. Otherwise, subscribe uh, on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we'll catch you on the next episode of the Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast.